your views, your news, your Limerick Today with Joe Nash on Live 95. We're going to talk about a groundbreaking study now conducted by researchers at the University of Limerick. Professor Matthew Herring and Professor Jacob D. Meyer looked into the transformative impact of resistance exercise training on symptoms of anxiety and depression. And to explain a bit more, we're joined by Professor Matthew Herring. Good morning to you and thank you very much for your time this morning. Um, So, first of all, what do we mean in this context by resistance training? Well, thanks, Joe. I appreciate you having me on. Um, From the standpoint of resistance exercise training, really what we're looking at is it's best to think about resistance exercise training as the more purposeful, planned uh, aspect or component of muscle strengthening exercise. And so when we look at muscle strengthening exercises, these are basically our physical activities that basically oppose a force or a load. So that could be gravity, that could be using body weight, that could be resistance bands. I mean, you know, we look back at, at during some of the COVID restrictions and, and lockdowns, if, if we want to call them that, you know, people were using all kinds of, of things, household goods and bags, buckets, that type of thing. So it's it's more or less opposing an actual load or a force um, and resistance exercise training then is more of the, the planned, structured, purposeful piece of that where we're looking to improve muscular strength, muscle size, muscle endurance, that type of thing. So do you mean people who, you know, can lift huge weights in the gym? No, not necessarily. And that's a, that's actually a great segue. I'm, I'm glad you said that because... You know, oftentimes there's this misconception when we hear resistance exercise training, we're really talking about strength training rather than your power lifting, rather than your, your, your basic Olympic weightlifting type of style. We're really looking at more of a guidelines based approach, which is, you know, two, two to three sessions a week where you're targeting major muscle, um, major muscle groups of the body with about eight to 12 repetitions for two sets. So we're not looking at throwing around major weights, uh, trying to get swole, as they say. We're really looking at trying to, you know, the type of resistance exercise training that someone would engage in to basically improve and in, or maintain muscle health and muscle strength. Trying to get what? What did you say? <laughs> swole, you know. I'm, I'm probably I'm 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 getting up there where I can't use the uh, the slang too much anymore, Joe. <laughs> okay, like does that mean big? That means big. That okay. means big. That's okay. the that's the misconception. All resistance exercise training is not necessarily geared toward that. So, what caused you, Matthew, and uh, a fellow professor Jacob D. Meyer to look into this aspect of resistance and resistance training? I should say. So the majority of my career, um, dating back probably starting in 2005, has really focused on physical activity exercise and mental health, what they can actually do for mental health, and then more of the how and why. So what's it actually doing with the body and brain uh, to actually elicit these positive effects we see for anxiety and depression? So with this, we were this particular article, we were invited by the editors at Trends in Molecular Medicine to really provide a snapshot based largely on my previous work in the resistance exercise for mental health area of 
what do we really know at this point in time? And the good thing is what we do know, and, and, and I'll say to your question, it's because resistance exercise training, particularly for mental health, has been comparatively understudied to more of the aerobic type of activities or more endurance type of training, like running, uh, even brisk walking, incline walking, jogging. Um, well, swimming, I'm glad you said that because obviously most listeners this morning will be aware that, you know, you go for a run and endorphins and everything else that it does for you. You know, a long time it's been held that that helps. Right, right, right. And and there's so many other factors other than, than endorphins that actually do impact that positive mood benefits. And some people actually are less sensitive to that, to be perfectly honest. Some people don't necessarily get this, you know, huge mood benefit from exercise. But here's the reality and probably the best and most digestible and important message. Resistance exercise training particularly we know that it has health benefits, whether or not it actually makes you feel better or not. So engaging in that is is really is really twofold benefit because it may well, based on our work, it does improve anxiety and depression. And it may actually be comparable, the effects, particularly in those who have elevated symptoms or may be diagnosed with major depression or diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder, for example, those folks may actually benefit at a level. And and what we've shown is they do benefit at a level that's comparable to other frontline therapies for those for those impairments like antidepressant medication and like behavioral therapies. I mean, is it your uh, expert view that, you know, 2000 years ago or maybe 3000 years ago, human beings still got depressed or did they get depressed less because they were engaged in a lot more of the sort of activity that you're studying? <laughs> that's a great question. That may actually, that's, that's, that's beyond the, uh, be, beyond my, my realm of expertise in a lot of ways. And then probably an evolutionary biologist or, or sociobiologist might be able to speak more on that. But I actually think that probably, the likelihood is that impairments in mental health have existed for, for quite some time. And, I mean, we know that if you even look back to some of the writings of Hippocrates, who is effectively the father of Western medicine, we look at the integration of exercise. And, and Hippocrates actually cast this as it was good for the humors. And that was sort of the scientific bent of the time. And it was that, you know, too much exercise, even they would say, well, that's not that great. But enough exercise and this kind of moderate level um, of ensuring that there was exercise in this sort of treatment regime, that was actually, that was perpetuated even then and that was prescribed even then. So I think that the likelihood is that depression and anxiety has always existed. And to be perfectly honest, from an evolutionary standpoint, anxiety is actually evolutionarily beneficial. I mean, if you're, you know, if you're thousands of years ago walking around in the Serengeti and there's a large, uh, you know, predatory cat that could eat you at any moment in time, it's probably pretty evolutionarily beneficial to have some type of hypervigilance and some type of anxiety. But when that becomes overly pervasive and it's persistent and it becomes maladaptive, 
then that's when we see the types of disorders that right. we that but, we're talking but, about really but, here. But essentially, then it stands to reason that you know if. Uh, historically, we needed to engage in different types of exercise, you know, lifting, pulling, dragging, running, that that would continue to benefit us today, even though for practical reasons, we needed less. Exactly. And and that that is probably, I mean, you've hit the nail on the head there. It's that, and, and that's actually a really, really good segue into probably the best message that we're finding now it's the regular accumulation of these types of exercises. It's the regular engagement that's what's so important. Um, and building that into, you know, just building that into more of a lifestyle. I mean, that's really where what we're seeing now, particularly within the mental health realm, is that there's almost this lifestyle medicine approach now that we really have to acknowledge based on the available evidence, not just from our work, but from the work of others studying alcohol, smoking, other, you know, health behaviors, mindfulness, that type of thing. Incorporating right. these things collectively appears to actually benefit us. Okay. Okay. Fascinating. Well, listen, thank you very much for telling us about that this morning. That is Professor Matthew Herring on the groundbreaking study conducted by researchers at the University of Limerick. Your views, your news, your Limerick Today.